David, I love that candle you're burning. You seem to always have a great candle burning. I am very aware of how room smells. When you've spent over a decade with a 75 pound Labrador retriever and two teenage boys, you start to worry that your house smells like the inside of a gym bag. I would imagine so. You know what I wish we'd had for the last decade? What? That Puro Air Purifier we now own and use all the time. I love my Puro Air too. Did you know that indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? Yes, I lived with two teenage boys. I can 100% testify <laughs> to that. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Gases from a preteen boy? <laughs> I'm dreading when my nephews start making those gases. Just you wait. Thankfully, Puro Air uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. You wouldn't drink unfiltered tap water, so why would you breathe unfiltered air? Thanks to my Puro Air Purifier, I feel like I can breathe again. Check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, getpuroair.com. Check it out now. Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we are so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. David, has Connie watched the Jesus Revolution movie with you yet? She has, and she loved it. I knew she would. You know, Sissy, we're old enough that we were actually around during the hippie movement of the 1970s. <laughs> Did you have to go there, David? <laughs> we were around, but we weren't quite old enough to know what it was like. That's true. I love how the Jesus Revolution movie gives us a glimpse into this important moment in our faith history. The Jesus movement had such an impact on Christians and churches across the world. We can all relate to Greg Laurie, who had been searching for meaning in all the wrong places. But then he met Lonnie Frisbee, a street preacher who was passionate about bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hippies. When Lonnie joined with Pastor Chuck Smith to open the doors of Chuck's church to the barefoot, long-haired, drug-addled hippies of SoCal, it began an unexpected revival that would change the world. Jesus Revolution is rated PG-13 and makes for great conversation with older kids about the impact of our decisions, peer pressure, forgiveness, and second chances. Those are some great conversations to have with teenagers. That's why I love this movie so much. It's an incredible story that can impact our personal stories. Gather your friends and family for a movie night to enjoy Jesus Revolution, available now on demand, digital, Blu-ray, and DVD. Visit JesusRevolution.movie to learn more. Again, that's JesusRevolution.movie. Rebecca Lyons is a national speaker, host of the Rhythms for Life podcast, and best-selling author of Rhythms of Renewal, You Are Free, and Free Fall to Fly. An old soul with a contemporary honest voice, Rebecca reveals her own battles to overcome anxiety and depression 
and invites others to discover and boldly pursue their God-given purpose. Alongside her husband, Gabe, Rebecca finds joy in raising four children, two of whom have Down syndrome. Her work has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, and Fox News. Rebecca, we're so excited to get to have time with you again. We got to have you and Gabe on, that was like two to three years ago. It was was a while ago. Yes, and you all shared such truth. We will link that episode to the show notes, too. Love it. And we are really excited to talk about your new book, Building a Resilient Life. You have so many great resources out there. And it feels like, just as we've been talking before we started Kids need to learn about resiliency. We do more than ever before. And so it just feels like such an important time to have this content. And would love to hear you talk a little bit about what led you to writing this book. Oh, my goodness. You know, I did really write this for my kids initially. Mm. And then, of course, 2020 (laughs) continued to unravel and showed me, oh, yeah, this is for me too. Because we're only, as I've learned with you, like we're only as happy as our saddest child. Mm. And it was a season where Kate, our oldest, really spun out. Largely nonverbal, Down syndrome diagnosis, and so high on EQ and needed to be around people and structure and all those things were lost. And then, you know, a year prior, a new baby sister had been adopted with Down syndrome. So he was displaced as the one who kind of got the most attention. And while it's been wonderful, just all this happened really quickly and spiraled for him in 2020. And that's how I begin the book of just how he would kind of hit his his head and his face and slam his head into walls and windows and his headboard. He there was just so much internal angst that didn't have a verbal way to get out. Wow. And he was just absorbing kind of the aftershock, I think, that all of us were with COVID. But he was kind of this litmus test of he didn't have any filter to pretend Mm -hmm. and he didn't have anywhere to put that frustration. Like he couldn't just yell or talk it out or go to therapy, you know? And so his window of tolerance really reduced in that season. And Mm -hmm. it was probably the hardest 18 months of motherhood for me in 22 Mm -hmm. years. And so, yeah, that's how I realized, okay, this resilience story is not just about Gen Z. While they all had their own real massive struggles, the parents did too. I mean, we mirror what we see at home, whether Mm. it's the parents initiating or the kids initiating, like we are all under the same roof. Mm. And so I think I was like, okay, this is a message that's so important because in past war times, I was doing research, mental health would rise actually Mm. in other wars in centuries past, but COVID was the opposite and mental health declined. Mm. And and there were several factors for that. I don't know if you want to know what they are. Yes, please. <laughs> We'd love to hear. Just jumping right in. Yes. Um, well, historically healing from trauma for centuries, long before we had clinical psychology and you know medication, was that it was always anchored in four ways. Like mm. healing from trauma always began with tethered to clan or tribe or community, like mm. tethered to people, not facing things in isolation. The second thing would always be regulatory rhythms, regulating rhythms for your brain, movement, mm-hmm. um, yes. you know, just serotonin being released, raising yes. that heart rate, getting outside, eating the proper diet, you know, just basic fundamental things to being human. Mm-hmm. The third thing would be belief in a higher power, belief in agency, and even kind of taking action because of that. So kind of like cognitive therapy where you behaviorally act towards something you believe. And then the fourth thing would be medicine, you know, Mm. but we've turned it upside down in 2023. And now we begin with medicine Mm. and then we 
Then we go to counseling, yes. and but not always in a community. And then we might move our bodies and get off our phones and get outside. And then if we have time, we mm. might actually phone a friend that we're not paying, right? Yeah, and it right. doesn't work for us or isn't a psychologist. And mm. I think that's why mental health feels so elusive or hard right now, because we just haven't ordered our lives in such a way that healing is the way God designed healing to naturally happen. Mm. And so part of the call back, I think, for 2020 was like, we were all isolated. So we were cut off from community. We were sent to our rooms. We didn't have agency to really even do the rhythms often, right? We couldn't leave home, right? You can't actually even have a whole lot of movement or interaction with people. And then we also didn't have any ability to join as a household of faith. So even that faith and that higher power wasn't encouraged or fostered because we were kind of sitting at home with our people or sometimes alone. And then we didn't really have any agency to affect any change. We were kind of told, just based on what we knew at the time, to wait, sit on your hands and wait. And we're not people who are made by God to sit idle while the house is on fire. Like, <laughs> like there is nothing in us that thrives in that kind of a setting. Yeah. And so I just think as a result of that, whereas in past wars, there'd be like a clan or tribe, like you're on mission, you're on the front lines, you have a shared enemy, you have a shared goal. You have execution strategy. Yes. You, there's a means to an end mm. that you get to be a part of. And that wasn't the case for us these last three years. Mm. Mm. Wow. You made mention of that hard season, and you opened the book with a really painful memory. Mm. And I had to stop twice while I was reading that. I think just hurting for you parent to parent mm. of just walking that out. And just would love to ask you, what would you say the arena of parenting has uniquely taught you about building a resilient life? Yeah, well, it's taught me that resilience grows when you do something novel and it activates your stress response just enough, like in some moderate, predictable way. And people cheer you on from the side and then you retreat and then you go do it a little bit more, you know? And that's kind of how I jumped into parenting, having a special needs son at 26. Being a mom was novel. <laughs> I'd never done that. Definitely had never done that with a child with special needs, mm -hmm. but community came around me that first year, and I found resilience in small and steady ways. But it wasn't just me. I, I think Cade found resilience. You know, mm -hmm. he would have his buddies at play group every Tuesday mornings. All my girlfriends were having babies at the same time, and while their kids started like crawling and moving and. He got to watch that. He didn't have the same progression. He didn't have the same milestone journey, but it was really good for him to have peers in his season and then have a younger brother two years later that he could kind of learn from. They, In fact, he beat him walking by one month. Wow. <laughs> because he was watching, you know, and so I was like, okay, this idea of resilience begins in kids from utero. Yes. And it begins in parents <laughs> in yes. utero. Like It's like a 2.0 version of what, what does this look like to care for something beyond myself mm. and to give my whole life for it. And I guess why 2020 was so hard was that it took me right back to year one. The trauma of it, feeling completely ill-equipped, like starting from scratch. Because I had kind of grown accustomed to what Kate needed, how to serve him well. And all of a sudden, we were like in a new moment. And I was feeling, I didn't. I didn't know where to begin and everything I was trying was not working. Mm. And then it almost not just directly infected me or Gabe, but our marriage, we would kind of fight about how we would handle it best. Cause stress just does that. You're all like kind of frantic, like, right. well, try this, try this. You know, I remember going to lunch one Sunday after church and he just, Kate sat under the table for an hour after we were done 
and we couldn't leave. Like little things like that, he would just lock up. And that would happen all the time. And so even our kids are kind of like frustrated. They love Cade, but now they're growing very resentful of Cade and angry Mm -hmm. at Cade because he would just be so, so like locked up. And so navigating that with them too, going like he's walking through something really hard. He just can't talk about it. And so we're blaming him for being unreasonable, but he doesn't even have the bandwidth to articulate what he's experiencing or even know what he's experiencing. So we're kind of having to fill that gap too. All that to say, the biggest lesson I learned in that season was that I'm not alone and this is not the end of the story. And Cade's not alone and this is not the end of the story. And it's like kind of finding resilience to kind of press on, knowing God was with us and he was holding us and that there would be a lift. It would just... Mm. It would just take time. And I think that's part of resilience is kind of like staying the course mm. even without an end date. Mm. Yes. Thank you. There's this, I don't know if it's a poem. We could link to it, but I can't even say the author's name because it's French. But the first line of it is above all trust in the slow work of God. Yeah. I just wow. I think about that so much, what that looks like. Slow work. Yeah. That's very slow. Lifelong. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Sissy, have I told you how much Owen is loving his Sunday's food? Actually, David, I think I saw it for myself the other day. He was chowing down. That sounds about right. He is hooked, and Connie and I are hooked on Sundays, too. It's healthy with 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. Not to mention how easy it is to store and serve. Zero prep, zero mess, zero stress. It has been a pretty stressful season, so anything we can do to lighten our load and feel great about what we're feeding our dogs is a win. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash RBG or use code RBG at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash RBG. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. So we talk so much about helping kids move toward purpose and meaning. And I love that there's a chapter in the book about how meaning cultivates resilience. Yeah. Will you talk more about that and where you've seen evidence of it? Oh my goodness. Well, the beauty of meaning is so much of our calling is informed by our talents and our burdens. Mm. And so kids are experiencing that. Like talents are those birthright gifts in the womb, Mm. right? That God just put in their DNA. It's their natural effortless thing they love to do. At eight, nine, and 10, so much they drive their parents crazy, right? (laughs) It's kind of like, what is your kid just wired for Mm. and their personality and their bent? And it is effortless for them. They just love it. They come alive with it. But yet kids have also known burden, sadly, sooner now than I think I did, you know? And every story is different, but societally, kids are knowing burden now. And burden is very much informed by the life you've lived, the story you were born into, and the thing that breaks your heart. Mm. And so kids are having to face that at a younger age today. Mm. So all of a sudden, they're thinking about, they don't have words for calling, but it would be very much so that their birthright gifts are still tethered to the things that burden them. And that God always uses your pain. He will always make pain become purpose if you let it. And so I'm 
even thinking of my daughter, Kennedy had kind of her first anxiety attack at 12. Mm. She's almost 18. And it's been six years of her having to make her faith real under mom and dad's roof, but it has to be her own. Mm. And now she is just sharing this with so many friends and helping so many people in her midst. And just to watch God go, nothing is wasted. Mm. You know, kids find meaning at age five, seven, 10, 12, 15, if they are willing to get honest, invite God in, be open with their parents, like choose the support of that, and then let God like redeem those things. And how cool, I was telling Gabe, I was like, we were not this mature at that age. Like our faith was so much part of our culture growing up, but it wasn't so much of a personal rescue. Mm. And I think the younger we experience some form of a rescue, the more clarity we have with what to do with that story. Mm. I love that. Yeah, me too. I love that. This season of the podcast, we're focusing on raising emotionally strong and worry-free kids. And we'd love to ask you just, what's a memory or a story from growing up that you think shaped you into who you are? Oh my goodness. Well, one funny one was, so I grew up a church kid and I, you know, became a Christian at five. I prayed because I didn't want to burn in hell. And I felt like that was a very successful (laughs) evangelistic strategy for a five-year-old. I was like, well, this seems obvious. Um, (laughs) But I did believe that Jesus was good and that he was loving and that he loved me. And so that was enough, I think, at five. I didn't really know like what he was saving me from fully. I wasn't fully grasping sin or my depravity at that age, but I did want to please him. And so I grew up kind of doing that and memorizing scripture and making sure that I pleased God. And I will never forget in sixth grade, we went to some church camp and I grew up in a Baptist church, pretty conservative. And the pastor was saying something to the effect of like, if there's sin in your life, you might not be a Christian, right? Mm. And so all of a sudden, this thing's going through the whole camp where like everyone's getting resaved, just to like double down on like the fire insurance. (laughs) And even my camp counselor, she got saved again. And so of course, (laughs) she prayed the prayer again. And I thought, I was like, oh my goodness, all my cabin mates and my counselor like had to double down on this prayer because they might still be going to hell if they don't. And (laughs) I was kind of freaking out. But then I was like, I don't think I buy this. You know, Mm. like there was a side of me that just was kind of wrestled with it for a while. And I'm kind of a rebel by nature. So Mm. if everyone else is getting resaved, I'm not sure that that I'm going to do that. (laughs) But I just got honest with God. And I was just like, I've always seen you as my savior. And Mm. I've always believed that your story is true. And I'm not going to just pray this out of fear that like, that I'm not loved or that I'm not your child. And that was a moment of like stepping and risking and trusting and going like, we're good. Mm. We're good. And And I'm really- being so personal. Yeah. And I'm not saying that those people shouldn't have, like God knows the heart, but I knew that in my heart, it wasn't a peer pressure thing. It was like, it got me back to going like, no, this is real. It always has been real. It might have not always been fully informed from, you know, just a freedom, but but it's real and I'm going to continue to pursue it. And almost in some ways kind of double, like it did seal like what I knew to already be true Mm. by just going, this is God, you're good and you're loving and you're merciful. And I want to know you. I want to continue to get to know you more Mm. in my teen years. Mm. That's awesome. So one part of your book is titled, Don't Run From Anxiety, Turn Toward It. 
Yeah. Love this message and talk with parents a lot about the importance of this. So will you talk more about what you've learned in your own life and in parenting about that, about turning towards anxiety? Yeah, it took a long time to treat anxiety as a friend, mm. not an enemy or yes. a backyard bully Yes, uh, that just grows when you avoid it, right? <laughs> and I found for myself, I would always avoid places that were small because my anxiety or panic disorder was rooted in claustrophobia. So mm. I would just take nine flights of stairs because nobody was going to join me on the elevator or too many would join me on the elevator. Same with the subway in New York, walking through Central Park. I got a lot of exercise in those seasons because I just didn't want to face it. And then I realized that anxiety was my fancy word for fear, and fear grows if you avoid it. It just kept growing, and I was becoming smaller. And the irony is God would put me on planes each week to talk about (laughs) this healing journey, and planes is where my panic attacks began. So I did have to continue to go back and confront those places and have to build some resiliency techniques on those planes or in those situations. Mm -hmm. And so then I finally realized it took years, but I was more afraid of the attack itself and what it would do to my body and Mm -hmm. how I would feel the fear I would feel in that moment or the shame I would feel that I'm still struggling with this or that it might happen here and there. Mm -hmm. Than the circumstance. Obviously, I'm not afraid of the airplane. I'm not afraid of the elevator. I'm just afraid of my body's response to it. Mm. Yes. And I that was enough to avoid it. And then I write a story in the book about how just like a just in October a year ago, it caught me off guard. I was like stuck on the tarmac after landing, after speaking all weekend, sitting in the back of the plane, just completely zoned out. Cause I just kind of read books, calm music, just kind of locked down. And then I look up and realize nobody's moving. We've been here for a minute. And just that lower brain that can't tell time just took me right back to the very first time I had a panic attack Mm. nine years prior. And I thought, oh, we're doing this right now. And there was no way to avoid it. And I just kind of do what I normally do. I just kind of go inward and I just kind of really slow my breathing. And I just kind of whisper Jesus' name like in a cadence Mm. because I see him as my peace and the Mm. Prince of Peace. And I submit to that covering of peace. So Mm. it's almost like choose to get under that versus like try to fight it, right? And within about probably five minutes or less, it rolled through my body, 160, you know, heart rate. Mm. It rolled through my body and then the letdown happens and then the tears fall, Mm. right? It's like after you've braced yourself for something Mm -hmm. like a car crash. So it was just as acute as day one. But once it was done, I was like still on that tarmac for another 30 minutes and I was totally fine. And I think it taught me, okay, Rebecca, the way to confront this is to turn toward it, not run, not Mm -hmm. run. Because if I could have run, I would have run, you know, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And in past situations don't run, let it go through your body. And then all of a sudden you realize like, it's not going to take you out. And it also, I think anxiety can be a barometer Mm -hmm. just to reveal that maybe I was running at a pace in that season that needed to change. There might have been some unconfessed things to like Mm. Gabe sometimes if I start to feel anxious or if I open my eye cal and I start to feel anxious, well, I've probably not created enough margin. But Mm. to me, anxiety now manifests as a barometer that something is off 
that that needs these rules of resilience kind of reinstated. Like, do I need, yes. need to name the pain right now? Do I need to be vulnerable and invite somebody in? Do I need to go get resistance training, like just get stronger in some areas that I've grown a little soft? But in the end, I think it's a really healthy metric. Mm. Unfortunately, we see it as such a bad thing, but I think it's just revealing when all is not well. Mm. And then we also can face it let it roll through us and then go, okay, I'm going to pay attention to a couple of things that I might need to change mm. right now. Mm. That's such a great perspective. Yes, it yeah. is. So grateful. David, did I tell you how I caught Henry playing with his empty high of vitamin bottle the other day? You did not, but that's not a surprise. I know how Henry loves his high of vitamins. And especially the customizable bottle. When he first got it in the mail, he couldn't wait to decorate it. Now he waits to refill it every time we get a shipment. I love that high vitamins are sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. That is one thing I love about Haya. But what I really love is that Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com RBG. This deal is not available on the regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash RBG and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Sissy, I loved seeing your pictures from the weekend at the lake house with your college friends. We had the best time. I could tell. We laughed harder than I have laughed in a long time. Good for you. That photo of us out on the porch is thanks to the great folks at Home Threads. We love our new porch furniture. It's so comfortable, functional, and looks incredible. We have loved our Home Thread purchases as well. I feel like I'm staying in a swanky hotel every time I use our new towels. Connie bought them for when we have guests, and I proceeded to use them for myself, so we had to buy more. <laughs> Parents, are you ready to transform your home into a haven for your growing family? Look no further than Home Threads your destination for stylish and functional furniture that's perfect for raising boys and girls. At HomeThreads.com, discover a curated collection of furniture designed with your family in mind. From durable bunk beds to versatile storage solutions, our pieces are as resilient as your little adventures and always at the best value. I need a lot of durable furniture when it comes to my little nephews. Yes, you do. Create a space where memories are made and imaginations run wild. Go to homethreads.com slash RBG and get 15% off your first order. Home Threads, shop today and love where you live. Sissy, I'm working on some new health goals. Good for you. I've set the bar really low so I can have some <laughs> success. How low? Like, don't eat the entire carton of ice cream in one sitting. <laughs> that is a great goal. That is very difficult for me, but you've got to start somewhere. You know who's helping me with my goals? Please tell me. Thrive Market. It's my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online, then quickly shipped to my doorstep is a huge time saver. 
I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can use their on-site filters to suit my lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily and always has some of my favorite brands. I saved almost $35 on my last order. You could buy a lot of ice cream with that. David, let's set the bar higher than that. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> they have so many brands that I love. I love Siete Jalapeno Lime Chips and I use Siete Tortillas for my tacos. Oh, and Siete Spicy Salsa. You are making me want lunch right now. Something else I love is when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. I love that too. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash RBG for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash RBG, thrivemarket.com slash RBG. What would you say are some things you think help your kids become more emotionally strong or more worry-free? Yeah, we have some really fresh stories. <laughs> you know how that is. You're like, you got a five-year-old story and a five-day-old story. <laughs> I would say my encouragement to my kids, even now that they're 22, 20, 18, and nine, but especially the older three, is to no topic is off limits ever. And I always want to be the person that they can bounce any questions, frustrations, anxiety, and just insecurity with. And I'll be the parent that shares a little bit more than they asked for <laughs> so that they're like, okay, we're good. Um, <laughs> because I just don't want them to leave like wanting or lacking to try mm. to find those answers somewhere else. Mm. And then also I would say when they know that we're safe and trusted to go and we're not going to react, like that's my biggest discipline with Gabe and I are like, no matter what comes out of their actual mouths, we're just going to be like, tell me more. Like, why do you, you know, like just, I've yes. learned a lot from you guys. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But just not to react, to hold space for it mm. and then just lean in and ask more questions. Mm -hmm. And I think they feel a lot more secure and less mm. like they're more worry free because they know like mom and dad are trustworthy. Mm. We're going to hold whatever they're wrestling with in confidence. And we're also not going to leave the room. Like we're going to be around as much and however often they want to talk about it. But we're also going to encourage them because we do want to launch them <laughs> and we want to launch them well to college. And sometimes that's not in the same city that we want them to navigate this as well on their own under our roof. So a great example of this I write about in the book is that Kennedy, when she would have any kind of acute panic attacks during the night, she would come down to our room and we would have kind of, you know, rubric of things like, what does God say about this? How are you feeling? You know, kind of objectively with us, giving her the resources. But then over time, she said, 
I knew that I can't keep coming down to your room. I wanted to work this out with the Lord myself. And I wanted to kind of confront this fear myself. And so she started doing that more and more and more and started building up the resiliency beforehand when she wasn't scared, kind of putting those building blocks in place so that when it did come, she was more aware and what knew what to do. And I think that's the same for me. When anxiety returns, I now know what to do. When anxiety returns, I now know what to do. And I think our kids are learning that. Whenever their adversity returns, they know what to do. And they can still lean on us. They can still call on us. But we want them to feel more and more confident in kind of their own intuition and their own resilience to move into that. What would you say is something you worried about early in the parenting years that you wish you hadn't? What they wore. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Kennedy at 18 months was like, I do it myself. And she would basically (laughs) rip off anything roughly or a bow that I would put on her. And I lost so much sleep over that. I was like, she doesn't look, she looks terrible. Like, I don't know what it is about early parenting. Maybe it was just me, but like, it was so important that the outside looked really presentable, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're just so cute when they're they're young and adorable, right? right? It's like double down on cuteness. But I learned later that I was trying to make my kids in my image of like my preferences, my likes, my personality, my temperament, my responses. And God's like, "Uh, excuse me, (laughs) they're made in my image, not yours. And and I was like, okay, I can celebrate that. So when I started to let go of that and just like let them be who they are and not resent that or try to control that, then it was really sweet and fun to just watch their fullness come out. Mm. Mm. Such a great reminder. I love that. Is there one statement you wish someone had said to you before you started the parenting journey? It just goes so fast. Mm. And the things that you spend time on aren't going to be the lasting things. It's the, it was almost like the play, the getting on their level, the eye contact, the books, like the board books at bedtime, the games. And thankfully I'm getting a 2.0 version of this with joy. So I'm able to go all the stuff that we bought them to like help them be better, whatever. Like joy has a play kitchen. She would way rather just be in my kitchen on her little stool stirring, cooking, doing the dishes. Like, she's like, that's cute over there, but I just want to be with you doing these Mm. things. And so I'm like, man, I could have saved some money on some play kitchens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They just like to be where you are. And I used to kind of think they needed to be entertained while I went and got some actual work done Mm. instead of inviting them into all of it as like part of just what we get to do together. I think kids really want to just do things together, Mm. even if it's yard work or you know, sweeping, like they just want to feel like they're part of the team, Mm. not sidelined over here being entertained with a screen or something. We talk a lot about arming ourselves with truth in the midst of all the emotions, which feels like part of what resilience is. And so we would love to hear one truth that helps you worry less as a parent. I think it's what I said earlier is you're not alone and this is not the end of your story. Yes. So often we spiral in that place Mm. when we believe no one else is facing what we're facing and that we can't possibly see light at the end of the tunnel right now. Mm. So good. Mm. Okay. We talk a lot about parenting on this podcast, but we also talk a lot about food. Okay. And we like to end with something food related and just fun. It's a two-part question. Queso or guac? And what's your favorite kind of taco? Guac, for sure. 
Except I am a fan of good queso too, <laughs> but if I have to choose, <laughs> Cade would wow. say queso. Okay. So together we get both. <laughs> there you good. Go. Perfect. That's great. And what was the second question? What's your favorite kind of taco? Oh my goodness. So I had one last night that is almost like a sweet pork at like Ooh. Costa Vida, I think it's called. Never and been there. It's out of Phoenix or something, like a good place where they would do Tex-Mex. They grill the taco and melt the cheese and oh. then put the pork on and then the pico. Oh. It's, it, it's like dripping out of oh. your hands by the time you're done and oh. so good. And I had never had it. But anyways, that pork was really good. Just something mm. that's looks like fully fresh, mm. you know, all the ingredients. And the more, the merrier, like <laughs> all the condiments. Oh, that's making me hungry. <laughs> what about right here, you guys? Time, What's right your favorite? Here. I'm going to join you in guacamole. Okay. And I love a breakfast taco. Ooh, what do you put on and your I breakfast? I live within walking distance of Lady Bird. Have you well, been to Lady yes, Bird? Yes, yes. You can't so, beat that. I mean, I why would you make morning. it at home if you're I know, right, I had right. it this morning. What's it's your favorite? What do you put tempting. in your- What do you put in your breakfast My taco? My favorite is, I actually love to turn one of their lunch tacos into a breakfast taco. So Ooh. I get the carnitas and put some scrambled eggs on that oh. and it's perfection. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try that. Number eight, add some eggs. Okay. All okay. right. I'm going to do it. What about, about you? you? I probably lean towards queso, but I love, have you been to Super Rica? Yes. You know, they mix in the ground beef and the guac and the sour yes. cream, queso I mean, compuesto, I think they call it. Yeah, you're getting all of it. All of it. Yeah. And I'm kind of in a hard shell beef taco stage. Oh, look like at old you. school. I oh, know. That's like old throwback. School. That's I know. OG. Isn't it? it is. <laughs> that for OG. sure reminds yes. me of like, what's the box thing? Is it Ortega tacos? Ortega, yes. Yeah. yes. Where you just get all the things. You get the yes. sauce, yes. The, the, the hard shell, totally. and then just oh, yes. add your ground beef. Yes. I mean, I grew up on that. That, that yes, was Mexican for me growing up. Me too, yes. Yes. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you. You always share so much wisdom and enough. hope and truth. And thank you. Grateful to get to sit grateful with you. And you. so excited about this book. Thank you. Thank you for writing. It's a joy it. to be with you guys. You, you too. too. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to click the follow button in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. To learn more about our parenting resources or to see if we're coming to a city near you, visit our website at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.